The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, which can be found on page 1,000 of the Church Bibles. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jock. Do keep that reading open for a few minutes if you can. I'm assuming that we will be uh, rejoined by by Natalie and Amandeep and Katie in a moment or two, and feel free to interrupt the sermon and give them a round of applause when they come in if you would like to. That would be absolutely fine with me. Um, for those of you who I haven't met before, uh, my name's Rob. Uh, I'm the rector of St. Luke's. I work with Tom here. Uh, and I'd like to add my welcome to you this evening for this very special service on Easter Day and this service of baptism. It is really great to be together. Uh, I wonder, did any of you look up at the sky last night? Uh, when you were out in the back, any of you go and do that? Some of you go and do it deliberately, perhaps, because you can tell me what it was, can't you? What was it last night? It was, yes, not only a full moon, but the pink moon, apparently, uh, if you go by the different names of the full moons throughout the year. Uh, I've, I'm always fascinated by the moon. I don't know about you. The moon is amazing, isn't it? Uh, the fact that we've got this, this strange satellite orbiting Earth. Uh, its, uh, its diameter is only a, a quarter... Oh, that's somebody going in, not somebody coming out. <laughs> False alarm. Its diameter is, I think, only a quarter of the, the Earth's diameter, and it's well over 300,000 kilometers away. And yet, 50 years ago, over a period of about three years, from 1969 to 1972, 12 people walked on the moon. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? It's almost hard to imagine with the technology of the time. Nobody has walked on the moon since 1972 and yet they did it with their basic equipment. Uh, it almost seems impossible. It's perhaps no wonder that there are some people who claim that it never even happened. I'm not one of those. Uh, walking on the moon, uh, it seems impossible. It's a hard thing to do. But actually, relatively speaking, I want to say it's nothing today, isn't it? Because if walking on the moon is difficult, walking out of a tomb, now that really is a trick if you can pull it off. If you were here in church this morning, you may have heard the first part of that chapter from Matthew 28 read. Uh, and we heard the account of those first women who went and visited the tomb on Easter morning and found it empty and all the surprises that they, they had on that day. The, the angel appearing to them who appeared like lightning and sat on the stone that had been rolled away. The fact that there was no body where they expected to find a body. Most of all, the fact that they found the risen Jesus speaking to them and addressing them, and they fell down in worship at his feet. Uh, it's the central claim of Christianity. It's the reason this church is here, this building, where people have worshipped for 700-odd years. And it's why, well, many of us, including Amandeep and Natalie and Katie, have been baptised 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because this man, Jesus Christ, actually rose from the dead. It's such a, cu- a huge claim. And despite the best efforts of, pe- of the people over the centuries, we know it's impossible for anyone to achieve. And yet Jesus has. Think about the, the ways that things have changed over the years. I did a bit of research this week. Uh, if you go back 250 years to the middle of the 18th century, the average life expectancy of someone in the UK, can you guess what it was? It's about 40. In fact, it was just under 40. Imagine that, 250 years ago. In fact, for the, it only reached 50 for the first time in about 1915, and then immediately took a dive because of the First World War. It's been gradually rising since then. The average has gone up kind of 60, 70, 80 or so, hasn't it? Which is not bad, but it's not exactly forever, nevertheless, is it? Whichever one of those numbers we manage to hit. Now, people with power and money have always tried to go one step further. You might think of the ancient Egyptians, you know, mummifying their kings and burying them in tombs with all kinds of treasures to go into the next life. Or you might think of some of the great... Uh, and I use the word advisedly, dictators of the 20th century, uh, like Mao and Lenin, um, being embalmed, I think it is. I mean, Lenin was in Red Square in Moscow, wasn't he, for years and years, and you could go and look at his body that had been preserved. And I understand there are a handful of cryogenic facilities around the world today, where if you've got enough money, uh, you can arrange for the time when it comes to have your body frozen. I'm not quite sure why anyone would want to do this, so that as people assume medical advances continue, one day they can resuscitate you and bring you back to life and wire you up to a machine or whatever it might look like. But of course, that whole thing is only based on a very limited hope, isn't it? The hope of resuscitation, to be able to continue on with life in its current form. I don't fancy it, I have to be honest. But Easter is different because Jesus didn't just come back to life. That's not what we believe as Christians. He died and then came out the other side to new life and to resurrection life, different both in its quality and in its quantity, with a new kind of body. And we're we're here to celebrate again today because he offers that resurrection life to all who follow him and all who will worship him. Well, here in Matthew 28, after a bit of an interlude in verses, I think it's 11 to 16, where the the religious authorities tried to pretend that the body had been stolen and something else had been done with it, we're told, as we just heard in verse 16, that the 11 disciples, not Judas, of course, by this point, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And in these five short verses that we've just heard read, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, we get from Jesus an enormous claim and a simple command, and a comforting promise for all of us. Let's just have a brief look at those three. First of all, uh, in verse 18, an absolutely enormous claim from Jesus. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Just think about that for a moment. All authority in heaven and on earth. Now, many people have some authority in different ways, don't they? Maybe you've got a little bit of it yourself. Uh, Maybe you have some authority at work. Uh, Maybe you line manage some people. Maybe you're able to decide what happens as you spend different budgets in different ways. Uh, We've all got a certain amount of authority in our lives, haven't we? Uh, And then there are people who have quite a lot of authority. If you've been elected to parliament, especially if you've become something like a prime minister or a president, 
or you've been born to be a queen or a king, well, you've got quite a lot of authority to do things. But you know, no prime minister has ever stood on the steps of 10 Downing Street, surrounded by the TV cameras and the press, and proclaimed to the assembled media after a, a resounding election victory, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. It's quite a relief, isn't it? Not pointing that at anyone in particular. Because there are limits to the authority of even the most powerful person we can think of in the world. Uh, they might have authority over certain places in certain ways for a limited time. Even the greatest leaders, even the worst tyrants, their authority is limited in scope and in time. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And the disciples in verse 17 are right to worship him. Uh, even while some of them are still coming to terms with what has happened, and they're full of questions and doubts, but they worship him with amazement and with thanksgiving. Some of you might remember what happened at the very start of Jesus' ministry, back in Matthew chapter 4, uh, when uh, we're told that he went into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And ex <laughs> I did put them up to it. Welcome back, Katie, Amandeep, and Natalie. Well done. I hope you're feeling a little bit warmer and drier. Uh, we're in Matthew 28, and uh, I'm just casting, casting our mind back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when, when the devil tempted Jesus in the desert. And if you remember, he offered Jesus the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. So tempting. All of that power, and no need for the pain of the cross. But the cost was to worship and give allegiance to the evil one. And of course, Jesus refuses, doesn't he? He chooses obedience and love, and he ends up paying a very different cost indeed. And now, as he rises from death, he is given an even greater reward. All authority, not just in the world, but in the heavens as well. And whereas, with any, whatever you think of any particular prime minister or president, that would be bad news with any human leader in history for anyone to hold that kind of authority. Because they, like all of us, are flawed and imperfect. And the last thing we need is for one person to hold it all. But the one man who has lived the whole of his life in obedience to his father, who has not served himself, but has served others, right to the point of giving up his life on the cross, even though he was the last person to deserve to be there. Now he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It's a huge claim, but it's one which has given reassurance to many millions of Christians around the world and down through the ages, especially those who found themselves in hard times, that the world is not out of control because there is a risen king. That's the first thing, the huge claim that Jesus makes. Here's the second, a simple command, and it touches on what we've been doing this evening, in verse 19, what is it that Jesus commands his disciples to do? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And how are they to do that? Well, there are two parts to it. One of them and his other ten colleagues. Uh, to make more disciples, to spread the good news, to share what Jesus has done. That's what they're sent out to do with that joy. 
That's why it then became the task of all the disciples who they made, to pass it on and make more disciples. And of course, the reason we're here this evening is that they did what Jesus told them to do. And they passed on the good news. And those who received it passed it on to others. And I've often wondered, actually, how many, how many generations has it been passed down through in order to get, well, to me, to all of us today. And maybe you can think of the disciples who first told you the good news of Jesus. Maybe it was your parents or a friend, someone in your family, a youth worker, maybe even a random vicar who you heard speaking about Jesus. And that good news had been passed down to you. That command was taken seriously. And isn't it striking that the specifics of what Jesus tells them to do within that uh, are to baptize and to teach. And they speak to us of the beginning of the Christian life and of the continuation of the Christian life. So baptism, that's what we've been about this evening, isn't it? And it's the mark of the Christian believer. It's in the name of all three members of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Christian is someone who is baptized and who worships the God who is one and who is three persons. Uh, It's the sign that someone belongs in Jesus' family. Jesus says in Hebrews 2 that he is not ashamed to call us his sisters and his brothers. Baptism doesn't make someone a Christian, but it's the outward sign that Jesus gave his disciples of what has taken place within us when we put our faith in him. Uh, The sign of new life in him, rising up out of the tomb as we rise up out of those waters of baptism, as we've seen uh, visually in front of us this evening. It's why it's such a special moment, and and Amandeep and Natalie and Katie, one I trust you will treasure and look back on for the rest of your lives. But it's not the end, is it? In fact, it would be pretty weird and quite sad if someone were to to make those promises, to, to want to be baptized, but then actually find that life carries on as if nothing has happened as if nothing significant has taken place, as if Jesus hasn't really risen from the dead at all. Jesus says to his disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And for us to grow as disciples, all of us, not just these three who've been baptized tonight, uh, to become mature as followers of Jesus, as members of his family, we need to be taught. We need to learn all that Jesus has said and done so that we're able to continue to grow strong in our faith. Um, It really struck me actually um, reading your three testimonies uh, that you'd written and that we've all got uh, in front of us. Some of you won't have had a time to have a look at them yet. It really struck me the common theme that came out of them all. Uh, That sense that each one of us has a different story to tell, don't we? A different story of faith. Uh, it's, It's always different how God works in our lives and brings us to know him. Uh, Natalie wrote in her testimony uh, that, she is, that she is wanting to build up her relationship with God. Um, Katie wrote that baptism is an important stepping stone in my journey as I continue to grow in my faith and relationship with Jesus. Uh, Amandeep wrote that she is on a new path, pursuing her spiritual journey with God, with Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit. And it's that, it's that same thing for all of us, isn't it? as we continue on in faith, on that journey, uh, with him at work in our lives, uh, to maturity in Christ. It's why we read God's word every time we meet together to worship him, that we might grow in that faith.
So making disciples is our business. That's Jesus' command. And lastly, Jesus ends with the most comforting promise. In verse 20, he says to his disciples, surely I am with you. I am with you to the very end of the age. He's just given them quite a hard task, hasn't he? There's only a few of them, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Seems hard to us. Must have seemed really hard to them. And it's not as if he says, right, I'll leave that to you. I'm off now. If you can just sort that out, that'll be fine. No, he says, I am with you as you do this to the very end of the age. And if you remember back to the Christmas story, right back to the beginning of Matthew, when the angel appears to Joseph to tell him that Mary is going to give birth to a son, you may remember that the angel says that uh, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's been a theme right through the Bible. And here is where it reaches its ultimate fulfillment in the risen Messiah who says to his disciples and he says to us, he says to you, I am with you always to the end of the age. And baptism with water is also the outward sign that inwardly we have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, as Paul calls him in Galatians. God with us present in his people, even though we cannot see him physically, at work in our lives even now. So what a day it is today. What a great combination. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, and Baptism Day. And we go from this place tonight, I hope, encouraged and with thanksgiving, because it's a day of miracles and of new beginnings. We go with thanksgiving because Jesus is risen. He lives. He has defeated death, and that is world-changing. And we go having had this visual reminder of it in baptism, of death and resurrection, of Jesus as new life and new hope for all who trust in him and worship him. As we go out with his great commission to us, ringing in our ears, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And we know that there is hope in a broken world because the one who says these things has been given all authority and now he has defeated death. So as I finish, my question to you all is, well, what's stopping you? Uh, what's stopping us? And I ask that in different ways. It, it may be that there's someone here this evening and uh, you, you've been reading what, what Amandeep and Katie and Natalie have written. Uh, you've been hearing the promises that we've all been making together and thinking, would I be ready to say those words? Are those things that I can say for myself? Uh, maybe something that's stopping you is that there are still questions that you've got, things that you want to think about. And if that is you, can I encourage you to pursue them? Because if this is true, it is world-changing and life-changing. Uh, you'll see mentioned in the testimonies there, uh, Alpha courses and Christianity Explored courses, and we're going to be running one after Easter. And if you'd like to come along and ask all the questions that you've got, I'd love to pass them on to Dick and Pauline, who I think are going to be involved in leading that. And uh, they'd love to talk to you about that too. Or maybe uh, you've been a Christian for years, for a short time or a long time. And so I say to you as well, what's stopping you? What's stopping us in being part of this great task that God has given his people to continue to pass on the good news? And as we do this work together of making disciples, in this part of all nations where God has placed us today.